Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. Well, I've got something different for you today. An American performance coach and motivational speaker, his name may be familiar, Jarek Robbins, yes, son to Tony Robbins. He is now the president of Success Magazine, which is going to be amazing. Get ready for this one. We talk about psychology. We talk about growing businesses with purpose. And we go into a few other things here. You're going to love this one. And more importantly, you're going to love Jarek. Listen in. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts with Success Magazine. And today I've got a treat for you. I've got Derek Robbins. And you said that some people call you Jireka or Jireka. How does uh, that, what is that all about? Here man? in Puerto Rico, where we live, it's Jireka. Um, and I only learned that because I was paying a bill on an auto bill system that I had to dial into. And the gentleman who recorded my name, uh, while I was listening, he goes, Robbins Jireka. And I went, I think that's me. And I started laughing. I'm like, that's pretty good. I've never heard it that way. Me either, man. I love it. Well, welcome to the show. Dude, you are now leading Success Magazine. How the hell did that happen? Uh, Someone hit me up on Instagram and said, I'm not joking. I'd like to set up a serious meeting to discuss something. If you're interested, let me know. Here's my LinkedIn profile so you know I'm legit. Who was that? Who was this somebody? That's that's a I, strange. I forget the name. It is a strange request, but I <laughs> I see plenty of them come through and said why not. So I clicked it and said sure. I you know email me so I know where you're coming from. They wow. shot me an email um, and connected me with the the larger company that had purchased Success, and they said hey would you, would you like to chat? We're looking for a new face to kind of lead the organization, and you're on our list. Dude. We think it might be interesting. That's super cool. That that's so random and cool at the same time, right? You got to well, answer congrats. your DMs, man. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to go back through all the ones that went to to garbage. I'm going to be like, okay, good. I'm I'm checking. I'm checking. Right? You never know. Yeah. I mean, you could. I mean, you could lead the next mega television series. It was someone hitting you up. You're like, that can't be real. Delete. Who knows what's in there? Opportunity is always knocking. It's one of my new thoughts I've learned. I love that, man. So for those people that don't know who you are, what you're about, can you give us a little bit of an intro as to who you are and what that's all about? Sure. The simplest, simplest version is kind of principles I've learned um, and, and core values. I think values tell you what the person is really all about. And I've always taught this and I've noticed there's values people say, and then there's values people do. And that's, there's usually a really big difference in this case where I, I taught a event on a cruise ship and my brother or cousin-in-law came um, and he said, oh, values, I know that, you know, God, family, make a difference, be a good person. 
instantly new values. And, and he had learned these values from a, a situation he went through in an organization that had principles he had to live by in order to be part of the organization to heal some of the stuff he was going through. Um, but then I said, okay, pull out your calendar and show me how you invest the most precious resource you have every day, which is your time. Pull out your calendar and show me how you use your time and show me what you actually value. Because if you're putting the most valuable resource you have into it, that means you value it more than other things. And when we looked at the calendar, the only thing on his calendar every week was work. Legitimately, like the only thing scheduled on his wow. calendar was work. Now he's a family, he's got kids, he's got a wife and all this stuff, but none of it was scheduled. And I said, well, where do they fit? And he goes, well, they, they fit everywhere else. And I said, but why is the only thing scheduled work, even though you're telling me the people who are most important to you don't exist on your calendar? And he went, huh. <laughs> that went, That's probably what everybody would answer. Huh. Something to think about, ain't it? And he went, well, shit, how do you do that? And I showed him a little process we went through and I helped him do it. I got the sweetest text in the world from my cousin about three or four weeks after they got back home. She said, I feel like I got my husband back. Thank you. Wow. And it's so simple to, to think that something so small can change so much, right? Yeah. Just one conversation can change an entire life. You just got to make sure we're asking the right questions. And so to express mm. my values, one, caring, I require anyone and everyone I work with to care about something more than themselves. I think that's part of life. There's an evolution from first mountain, which is what do I get out of life to second mountain which is what I can give to life. And so I require people to evolve to their second mountain. If we're going to share space so that we're focused on what we can give to life. Um, I think they've got to be number two, willing to do the work. A friend of mine, Alison Armstrong taught me that willing is an action word, not okay, fine. I'll do it, but use their willpower to drive things forward, to do the work, use their willpower to will themselves into the daily activities necessary to live the great life they want to have. Mm -hmm. And I went, Ooh, that's powerful. That that's really powerful. powerful. I, I, you know, honesty comes up next for me and honesty, meaning being willing to tell the truth and the whole truth doesn't always have to be pretty. Doesn't always have to be bad. It just has to be what's real. If we know what's real, we can do something with it. I explain that to people and say, if I was going to help you get somewhere and you told me you're in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and you're trying to get to New York, I'm going to give you a certain vehicle to use. I'm going to give you a certain time of day or, or year to drive. I'm going to give you a certain kind of setup for the tires, snow, yeah. no snow, mountain roads, straight roads. But in reality, if you were actually over in Louisiana, that's a whole different setup. That's a whole different strategy, whole different vehicle, whole different timeline. And so you got to be honest with where you're really at, what's really going on if we're going to help you get somewhere. Otherwise, we're going to prepare you improperly. We're going to suggest the wrong things. We're going to give you the wrong tools. We're going to not set you up for success, but we're going to kind of screw you up because we gave you the tools for where you told us you were instead of where you actually were. I think that's a really important piece. We need honesty to know what's real so we can properly prepare you to successfully navigate the journey. I think that that also that makes a lot of sense because a lot of us aren't honest where with us with ourselves as to where we are, 
right? Yep. And and I think ego gets in the way a lot there, right? So, Tons. dude, what a, what a great point on that one. Tons. And then the final one is have fun. I'm a big goofball. I had a friend text me <laughs> the other day and she came on as a special guest speaker in one of the groups I run. And she said, normally I charge tens of thousands of dollars to come do trainings like this. The reason I'm here is because when my dad was dying, I got a text every single day from this guy. And she was talking about me. And she said it was the most silly, uplifting, funny, weird, hilarious text that added a little bit of joy to my day when I needed it most. She said, that's why I'm here. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here because I'm busy right now. And I think if we can reach the people who need us most at the moment they need us with the message they need, we can do a deep and great service to the community and to our friends and family and people around us. Yeah, I, I think so. I think we, we sometimes take ourselves too seriously. And I love what you said at the beginning when you said the difference is really between the values that you you say you live by versus the values that you actually live by, right? And can you give us an example as to when you say have fun, what does that look like in your mind, right? What does that translate yeah. to? Um, well, it depends on what people find fun. Uh, some people like to grow and that feels fun to them. That's exciting. That's joyful. Some people like to learn. That's exciting to them. That feels fun when they're learning new things. Some people like to give when they're giving. It feels fun. It's exciting. It's that nervous feeling. There's science behind this. Um, I use the example of random acts of kindness. When they researched it, when someone goes and does a random act of kindness, I mean, random, like you're walking down the road, you see someone, you see something going on and go, ooh. I should help. And then you get that weird nervous feeling. Your heart starts bitter battering faster. Your palms get sweaty. You get a little nervous. You feel anxious. That's the adrenaline firing. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, a lot of people, when they do it, they're all excited and nervous and, and, and feeling, you know, the fuzzy wuzzies and all that. And then the, the person who receives it just bursts out into tears. And then all of a sudden, the person who was doing the random act of kindness is like, it's okay, it's okay. And then they start crying. And then you look across the street, like five people observing, and they're all crying. And you think, what the hell happened? Like, how did that just occur? And what the science shows is the person doing the random act of kindness has a huge dose of oxytocin that releases into their body. Mm -hmm. The person receiving the random act of kindness gets hit with the same level of oxytocin. And anyone observing gets hit with the same level of oxytocin. And so all of a sudden, when I say fun, fun is the process of feeling good because of what we're choosing to do in that moment. So random gifts is a good idea. Yeah. As long as, as long as they're I mean, I get people get mad at people who videotape themselves doing random acts of kindness on the internet. Yeah. Now I'm like, I get it. You should do it for the reason that you're doing it, not to videotape yourself. Yeah, but the truth yeah. is, if people keep seeing more random acts of kindness, they're getting hit with oxytocin, which is making them more likely to want to connect and bond to the community than not. So the argument for is, hey, if, if we keep pushing these messages out there, people actually decide to treat people better, feel more connected and be more caring than without them. I know it's not cool to 
do it only to film it. Yeah, do it because you actually want to help. And I think we should keep recording it so that more people get that hit of oxytocin and it bonds our community even tighter. Makes a lot of sense, man. I love that. I love the random acts of kindness. Yeah, I, I notice that when I text people just randomly like, what's up? And then I put an emoji that's kind of funny or or yeah. send a random gift, right? Yeah. People people respond differently. It's like you interrupt their day. Very, very interesting, dude. Yeah. I love that. All right. So let's let's dive into business because a lot of a lot of our, our podcasts here, they revolve around reaching out to entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, right? When it comes to business, what what would you say is a disconnect? And I'm going to go back to what you said. So we'll dive into that. But what would you say is a disconnect between the values that business leaders are saying, hey, we should lead it this way, but yet their actions are, are, are different, right? Why do you think there's that challenge with business leaders? Um, so they're chasing two things and they think that they're separate. And a friend of mine, I don't know if there's a visual, I could draw it for you. I, I just, I'll paint the picture with words. Let's see if I could pull this off. So a friend of mine showed me this. He, he was with Bain Consulting. He left with $25, started a nonprofit, and since then has built over 600 schools around the world in, in places in need. And they're all still up and running and, and delivering massive educational value to the communities that each of these schools is within. Um, he not only figured out how to build it, but he figured out how to build the infrastructure to keep them running and thriving, not just build a physical structure and leave. And so with that, he showed me this concept where with Bain Consulting, I mean, this, this is heavy consulting work. This is not, you know, big hearted people trying to make money for causes that matter. These are heavy thought led people who are trying to drive insane profit. And so he drew a circle and he put a dollar sign in it and he goes, I needed to have the thought process of the consulting company I came from. How do I run this unbelievably well, wildly profitably and, and at an insanely efficient way? And I was like, okay. I was like, that's it. That was your secret to building 600 schools. He goes, no, 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 no. Then he drew a second circle and he put a big heart in it. And I smiled because I liked that. I'm like, okay, I like this one better than the other one. Tell me more. And he says, but you have to have the heart of a servant leader. You have to have the heart mm. where you care about something more than yourself. And I went, ooh, okay, that sings to me. I started off in the nonprofit world. That was my first major job. So how does this work? And, and he says, watch this. He took both circles and he made a Venn diagram. He overlapped this little middle part. And he drew a line from the part that overlapped. And he said, this is called a four purpose organization. Mm. And I went, Ooh, you're singing my song, man. He <laughs> says, you build an organization that's highly profitable, extremely well run, uh, very, very lean and agile and intelligently put together with a, with a highly effective team that delivers exceptional results in service to the world. And, and, you know, people constituents that it, it serves. Yeah. And he said, and then you take a piece of that mound of profit 
and you reinvested in the people and projects that matter in the world. Mm-hmm. And I went, there we go. And so I run a program that's a business accelerator for small business owners. Last year, we helped them grow anywhere between small ones grew 20 or 30%. One of them grew 98% last year. In 2020, we had a company that grew 50% in revenue, 179% in profitability, and 190% in net profit. It was an amazing year for them. They're in the food industry, which got decimated in 2020 for the most part. They're in Louisiana, young family, two kids under the age of of five at the time, working through making the magic happen. And so Mm. we help them make these results. But as a group, last year, Fiji got hit by a cyclone and a whole village was wiped clean Mm. on a very small island. We rebuilt 18 homes, a school and, and a church for them. Uh, we were able to rescue 24 kids and women out of sex trafficking. We were able to feed 24 kids in Uganda every single month, three meals a day for the year. Like we're able to then reinvest the thing that we're making into people and projects that need us in the world and support them. And my experience with the nonprofit world was we're constantly walking around with our hands out saying, Hey, can you help? Can you help? Can you help? And I'm like, why don't we just build a machine that, pumps all the money we need into this. So we never have to ask. We can just go do what needs to be done. And I think that's where the four purpose organization comes about is we build the machine called our business that delivers extreme value to our clients and constituents. We then take a piece of the revenue, reinvest it into the, the purpose projects. And we have our four purpose organization that is a never ending machine that will always produce an unlimited amount we can use to go do good in the world. That's so key, man. I think the for-purpose organization idea, I think that that can really drive companies and leave legacies like they want to. Yeah, totally. Interesting. And it, it challenges people in the nonprofit to say, hey, we don't have to go around begging people for money all the time. We can build a machine and produce our own revenue source and drive it as big as we want and then use the revenue to go do great things in the world. And I then go talk to the people who are good at making money, but but need a little bit more heart and say, hey, what are the people and projects you're committed to making a difference for in the world? Let's find something more than yourself to care about here. And I challenge them to find their second mountain and find something more than just themselves to do it for so we can take care of more of us more in the world. So so with this, this four purpose organization, I think this think it fits into. I think this fits into the world that we're in. What have you noticed yeah. as, as we're heading into like Web 3.0 and we're in the current cultural climate that we're in, in the, in the United States and other parts of the world too. Yeah. What, what would you say is the biggest challenge we're seeing humans face when it comes to building businesses or organizations like uh, for purpose organization. Sure. So one of the biggest challenges people have is they they never went to business school. They never learned how to do it. Most entrepreneurs had a great idea one day and went for it. And we, you know, we're building the plane as we're jumping off the side of the building, trying to figure yeah. out how to fly. I certainly did it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember I had a hilarious story where on a Friday afternoon, I decided to start a business and I put up a website 
someone called me and said, I'd like to work with you. I said, great. He said, can you send me a contract? I hung up the phone and I went, sure. Hung up the phone and went, shoot, where do you get a contract? And dude, uh, what is, what is up with random messages to you? (laughs) The world, the world loves you, man. I'm telling you, opportunity is always present. You just have to open your eyes to it. And so I just, I said, okay, I didn't have a contract. I pinged a friend who worked for a company that had contracts in a similar industry. I said, can you send me your guys's contract to look over? He sent it to me. I retyped up my version of the same contract. Um, I sent it to the person. He sent it back with a credit card on it. And then I called my mom and I said, mom, how do I get money off a credit card? She said, honey, are you in trouble? (laughs) I was like, no, I'm not in trouble. She goes, why are you trying to take money off your credit card? I said, mom, it's not my credit card I'm trying to get money off of. I'm trying to get money off of someone else's credit card. She's like, honey, that's illegal. You can't do that. I'm like, no, no, no. You don't understand. He signed the form. He told me I could take the money off the credit card. How do I do it? And she started laughing. She goes, oh, honey, you need a merchant account. I said, what the hell is a merchant account? So I Googled merchant account and some company popped up, which is probably an ad. I clicked it and called them and said, hi, I like merchant account. They said, do you own a business? I said, kind of. They said, do you have an EIN or an LLC or a, you know, a sole proprietor? I was like, let me call you right back. I hung, Googled business. <laughs> I, I figured that out. Uh, I went downtown that afternoon, applied for uh, a business license. I got insulted by the dude in San Diego who does business licenses. He, he saw my name, Jarek Robbins. He said, how much did you have to pay for that last name? And I said, excuse me, dude, he he said, well, Jarek clearly isn't from here. So how much did you have to pay to get the Robbins last name? When you, when you moved here? Wow. Wow. People in the city, people in the city are real kind to new business owners. I learned not so much. So I said, thank you. That's nice of you to say that. Got my business license as a sole prop, went back home, called back the guy in Boston and said, Hey, I'm a sole proprietor. Here's my business number. (laughs) He said, okay, I'll see if I can get this done for you ASAP. Maybe I'll get it to you by Monday. I said, here's the problem. The guy's first session is Monday and I need to charge his card before the first session. He said, I'll get it to you as soon as we open. So about 20 minutes before my very first session with this gentleman who signed up, uh, I keyed in the card and got my very first business payment. Dude, you know what? That That's just, to me, that just shows that we overthink things. And I think we, we look into, let's say you and I are trying to start a business. We look at successful people and like, oh, we need a business plan. We need to outline this. And the truth is we don't. We just need to actually dive into it, yeah. right? The, the overthinking. Damn. Now, the key is, so the biggest challenge is, one, you need the inspiration and motivation to actually just go for it. Two, you need to quickly find a mentor who's been there and done that to show you all the things you're about to mess up. Mm-hmm. It took me about five or six years to find that mentor. Uh, because I had to go mess some things up before I felt like I should probably get someone to not help me avoid this. This hurts. I think the year that I found my mentor was I decided to do seminars and events all over the world. I did 20 events in 20 cities, Stockholm, London, 
New York, Tokyo, Australia, South Beach, Toronto, Vancouver, LA, San Fran. I was all over the world in one year. I helped more people than I'd ever helped in my life. I made more money than I've ever made in my life. I got to the end of the year. I went to my account and he said, how do you think you did? I went, dude, I crushed it. It was the best year I've ever had in business. He said, you don't know how to read a P&L, do you? I said, what are you talking about? Look at the number. It's right there. And he goes, you're looking at the wrong number. I went, what do you mean? He goes, see this number down here with the minus in front of it? That's the number you got to pay attention to. And that was the one and only year I've ever run negative as a business. The way he explained it to me is, if you would have stood home and stared at the wall all year, you'd be $20,000 richer than you are right now. Wow. I went, this guy's a jerk. It's like, I need a new accountant. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you, you spent more than you made. You had to personally fund yourself. He goes, let me put it another way. If you would have got a job at McDonald's, you would have been richer than you are right now. And I was like, this guy's really a jerk. Like he's a double jerk for that statement. And I thought he was being mean to me, but he was trying to tell me a truth I wasn't ready to see. The honest part. He was being honest. I wasn't. I was I was in my own little world and brain of I'm super successful and I'm killing it. And in reality, I had to get real and get honest and go, uh-oh, I am successful in helping people. I'm not successful in understanding how to properly run a business at this point. Dude, that, that's so key because I do see a lot of businesses, they seem to run off of their desire to be perceived as successful. That's right. And how did you turn that around? Because now we're going to be talking to that part of the audience, which I know everyone goes through yeah. at some point in their life. So how, how is it that you turned it around and, and what should we be paying attention to to turn it around? There was a book written by a guy and I saw him speak live. And I've known this guy since I was very, very little. But every time he got up to speak, I would usually leave the room because I thought what he talked about was boring. <laughs> who, who was this guy now? I want to know. This guy's name is Keith Cunningham. Okay. He wrote a couple books. One of the books is called The Ultimate Blueprint for an Insanely Successful Business. It says great operators get tired, great business owners get rich. And I, he got up and started speaking and all the things he said prior, I'd go boring and leave the room because he was talking <laughs> about numbers and spreadsheets and profitability and ratios. And I was like, oh, blah. And, and it just didn't speak to me prior to that moment. But this time it spoke to me. And, and everything he was saying was everything I was screwing up. Everything. Like he Dude. said it and I went, yep, messed that up. He said it. I'm like, oh, totally screwed that one up last year. He said it. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, has this dude been following me all year? Is, is he literally here to make fun of me? How does he know this? And it turns out at this point, this guy's got 50 years of buying and selling companies, turning them around, Damn. growing them, doing all this stuff. He's done the billion dollar deals, the hundred million dollar deals, and he optimizes businesses. 
And, and for the last seven years, I've worked one-on-one with him in the background and he has given me a business education that I don't think most universities could come close to. I still take classes on the side at Harvard Business School and stuff like that to tighten up other tools. But the tools he's given me have given me the ability to not only grow and navigate my own business, we grew in the last three years about 143% cumulatively over those years. None of it was focused on us trying to update our sales and marketing. All of it was focused on adjusting the internal operations to be a proper business running at full capacity. I'll give you another, a different way to look at this. I had a real estate agent who hired me a handful of years ago to work with him. Mm-hmm. I focused on his health, his family, his sleep patterns, his ability to focus during the day, how to become happy, healthy, strong, and more fulfilled. We never once talked about his business and his business grew from 3 million to 14 million that year. Dude, that makes a lot of sense because you're focusing on the the core priorities of, of our existence. I love that. I have a weird feeling that when you optimize the human, everything else in their life becomes the ripple of them being at their best. All right. All right. On that, because I, I love this, this talk. Okay. And you probably have some of the most best experiences with this. When you're talking about optimizing the human, what, what does that look like to you? How do you translate that for us? Yeah. Great question. So originally in personal development, there's a lot of thoughts of helping optimize the human, get rid of their limiting beliefs, help them focus on a big mission, help them find their big why. All of these things are helpful. All of them are extremely hard to measure. Keith taught me this phrase in business that says, as measured by, meaning anything I talk about, he goes, okay, as measured by, how do you measure that? Show me a before and after. Show me what digits, numbers, or metrics changed. And I'm like, well, on a zero to 10 scale, they're happier about their life. He goes, that's cool, but that's kind of flimsy because that could change if they have a good day or a bad day or they slept well or didn't. And I said, well, watch this. What if we track the number one number metric that determines the lifespan or longevity of a human being? According to a group in San Francisco, they spent over a million bucks researching what is the number one piece of information we need to measure every day that determines the longevity of a human. And they found out after their million dollars of investment and all the researchers they talked to and worked with, it's heart rate variability. Now I went, ooh, we should probably be tracking that on humans if that's the number one indicator of how long they live. And so far, I haven't found anyone that goes, no, that's a dumb idea. Why would I want to measure that if it's the number one determining factor of how long a human lives? <laughs> and so I said, okay, let's track the heart rate variability. And then let's put together protocols and rhythms and habits and routines that actually improve the heart rate variability. That's measurable. I can show you when you start with me, your heart rate variability is 46. After working together for a year, we got it up to 56. After three years, we got it up to 66, now aiming on 70 some weeks average. And people go, oh my gosh, I've increased my heart rate variability over the last three years, which means I've increased my lifespan. How do you increase how do you increase the heart rate variability? Lots of different things we can do there. But let me give you a few other statistics we measure. 
So I figured out if you want a human being to be at their best, I said, well, wait a second, let's reverse engineer this. If you wanted to totally screw up a human being, what do we have to take away that just wrecks their world? And I was like, okay, wartime scenario, we're in war, someone captures us, what are the first three things they restrict? If they really want to screw us up, they want to torture us, they just want to mess us up. What are the first three things they take away? Sleep, food, and movement. Movement. Oh, dude. Sleep, food, and movement. And then I looked at business owners and I went, what are these hustle culture, grind, grind, grind. I don't sleep. I'll eat when I have to. And I sit at my desk all day. I was like, oh my God, these people are torturing themselves. I had someone stand up in an event one time and go, well, shit, when you put it that way, it doesn't sound very good, does it? <laughs> Dude, I said, no, it doesn't. When you it's put it horrible. that way, it makes sense. Yeah. Like, there's no one who wouldn't see it that way. Totally. This is torture. But all of, I mean, people are calling it, you know, work hard. Do you have what it takes? Are you a grinder? Are you a hustler? Are you someone who works 24 hours a day and all this stuff? But even Mr. Hustle himself, Gary Vaynerchuk, is a huge fan of sleep. And he knows more than anybody that if you get high quality sleep, it gives you a fuel tank to go about the world. And so the next thing we measure is sleep. The key number you're aiming for is seven and a half to eight hours of sleep, but high quality sleep. Because some people get eight hours of sleep, wake up feeling exhausted. And what that means is they didn't get the right REM or deep sleep, which is 20% REM, 20% deep is the target you're aiming for. So seven and a half to eight hours with 20% REM, 20% deep. REM sleep is where our glial cells cleanse our brain tissue to get the neurotoxins out of our brain. The side effect of not getting REM sleep is Alzheimer's, possible immediate heart attack of too much toxins built up in the brain tissue, the ability to lose memory. And that sucks and you can't fix it once it's there. It does suck. <laughs> it does suck. But if you can prevent it or slow it down or offset it by getting great sleep early, my gosh, you're, you're offsetting your chances. What else could we do? So, so heart rate variability, sleep. I think the ability to focus the mind. Nowadays, especially, Look at how many things blink and buzz and ding and tweet and, bl- and and they're always trying to catch our attention, which makes it extremely hard to focus. I mean, most people's focus is enough seconds to go eh, and swipe to the next thing on whatever platform they're on. And that's wow. like milliseconds. True. We don't stick with something long enough to even hear the second line. We're like, nope, 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 nope. Ooh, that's interesting. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> and so focus is gone. <laughs> And so I'm like, what could we do to train focus, to have someone be more present to their life, to have someone experience the richness every day of what's actually happening around them? And I looked for tools. How do we measure that? I'm like, meditation. And every time I talk to meditation to business people, they're like, you want me to climb a hill in Tibet and learn how to chant or some shit? Like, what are you telling me to do? Well, that might Honestly, (laughs) it would probably change your life if you did. But I don't think I'm going to get someone from Goldman Sachs or someone from these places to do that. They don't value it enough. They've never put their time there. True. 
and I can't measure it because they said, I've tried meditation. I shut my eyes. I talked to myself for 20 minutes. I opened my eyes and I don't know what the hell's changed. How do I know if it worked or not? Yeah. I'm like, damn it. And I was on a plane one time coming back from Paris into Chicago. I sat next to this guy. We started chatting each other up. And, and turns out he was a child researcher for people with ADD and ADHD. And I went, ooh, are, is yeah. it solvable? Can you fix it? Can you help kids? Like, are they screwed for life? Like, does it, how do you do it? <laughs> I'm like, I mean, you're the doctor. You research it. Tell me, is there hope? And, and he said, there is. We found this device. We put it on their head. It's a medical grade EEG brain scan that scans mm -hmm. the brain and it has them follow, uh, they call it neurofeedback. So when they clear their brain, they get little birds chirping. And when their brain has thoughts, you get a storm, like a storm in your mind. And so you hear Whoa. thunderstorms and lightning bolts when there's thoughts and you hear tweeting birds when you've cleared the storm and now you're totally focused. Wow. And he says, what we tell the kids is it's a game and the way to play the game and win is to get as many birds as you can. And if you know kids in games, they'll figure out how to win. Genius. And man. so whoever gets the most birds every week in the pot of kids wins the prize. So they're all competing for three minutes a day to get as many birds as possible. What he found after 30 days of use with three minutes of the Muse device, the little headband, they were able to massively reduce or completely eliminate the need for ADD medication with better results in focus and presence on exams and tests for kids. And I went bingo. I just found a measurable way to show executives and business owners how to practice building the muscle of focus and presence. Dude, that just, I mean, that just shows that ADD is just... A, probably a conglomerate of different habits or even maybe just one or two. And he said, it's a little bit of chemical for some people. It is a chemical thing. They got to balance out. But for a lot of people, it's a mental training. It, it's mentally building the muscle and practicing staying totally present. There's another piece on top of this. I found mm -hmm. later that I didn't know about. Cause I thought that was like the, the code I broke. I got it. I got the tool. Um, yeah. And then I met this lady named Dr. Leah Lagos, who works out of New York City. She works with top hedge fund managers. She works with NFL coaches, Olympic athletes. And she has a, a, a biofeedback breath work system she uses to teach people how to recalibrate their entire nervous system to calm. Now, I showed this to my dad, who happens to be high energy. And he was like, well, I don't want to be calm. <laughs> I was like, you need to be calm. He's like, I don't want to be. I'm like, I get it. You don't want to, but you need That's to. Funny. Um, and, and then I said, have you ever had that feedback where high performers, high energy people don't want to be calm? She goes, yeah, I get NFL coaches who come in here and go, if you make me some mellow, yellow, calm, like let's go get them raw, raw coach. I'm going to lose my job. She goes, that's not what I'm doing. She said, I'm giving you another resource that you can instantly access by a couple breaths. And they go, well, what does that mean to me? She goes, who on earth requires staying calm in the middle of chaos? And I asked that question. I was like, well, wait a second. The most highly skilled combat officers in the world, the police department, the fire department, the medical professionals, a surgeon, 
Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, all of these people are not, I mean, I don't want to see my surgeon going, hua, 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 and then running <laughs> into surgery. No, I don't. I'm screwed if that's the case. I'm about to get chopped up in ways I don't want to be chopped up. That's true. And so I need this dude calm and focused, totally centered and present in the moment. And I said, how do you get there, but still stay at your best? There's a guy named Wim Hof who does breathing techniques around yep. this concept. Yep. But she showed me a different protocol, which Laird Hamilton uses as well. And, and he's a pro surfer, an intense, extreme athlete. But yep. there's breathing protocols you can use every day that put up within probably seven weeks, it puts up a mental and emotional force field where you can stand physically in the middle of chaos and it doesn't affect your decision-making. It doesn't affect your ability mm. to stay present. It doesn't affect your ability to navigate what's going on. Dude. And I said, I need to learn that. And I did right before my first son, my, I only have one, but my son was born. I went and did her protocol for 10 weeks, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm someone that when I would see someone at the hospital, like getting a shot, I would pass out because of needles. Yeah. I caught my son coming out when he was born and I was in the zone. My Dude. heartbeat was calm and steady. I was totally present. Blood didn't affect me whatsoever, even though every part of my life before that I would have passed out and thrown up. And all of a sudden, she gave me a superpower of how to stay calm and present in the most important life moments instead of freaking out and passing out. And who was this lady again? What's the name? Dr. Leah Lagos. Dr. Leah Lagos. You know, dude, that reminds me, I just, I just wrapped up a book. I'll, I'll text it over to you. Hmm? But uh, hold on. It's Feeling and Knowing, Making Minds Conscious. All right. Just came out late last year. And they talked about very similar they said, look, your, your habits that, that are really causing you not to focus also are, they're creating, it's creating a chemical structure in your mind. Right. And so then the problem is that you not only have to fix the habits, but you also have to fix the chemical structure because you created it. Right. So that, dude, that's exactly what you just talked about. I love that. I'm going to send you that. I'll text it over to you. Thank you. But Thank that's you. brilliant, dude. I, I love where we're heading here. We've got two minutes. So I was going to say all of these things are things I've been using in one-on-one -on -one coaching with, with the clients who I work with. Um, the upside of that is they've gotten unbelievable life and business results. The downside is I can only work with so many people at a time. Yeah, that's true. And, and I mean, how do you scale that to be able to bring in the right people to also teach people that? How, how have you been able to do that? Well, I was just given an opportunity at success to build a coaching department where we can bring these tools to the world. Dude, I love that. So tell me about that. And so in this, we have seasoned coaches we've recruited from other organizations who have many years of coach experience. Um, we're going to be implementing a training where we teach them how to use all these tools and devices and how to, how to help people navigate and apply them into their life and business. And we're going to be launching probably this year, our performance coach program, where we teach Ooh. people how to optimize human performance. Uh, we're going to be one of the only large scale coach organizations that has this available at this level. Um, there's plenty of individual practitioners who can do it like I was doing 20, 30 people at a time, but I don't see any that can do it at scale. 
And so we'll be able to bring that to market. Um, and then I'm working with a gentleman who's an ex-special operator in the Air Force. He was a pararescue jumper. He used to teach leadership for the Air Force Academy. He's working on his PhD in counseling right now. I'm mm -hmm. having him come over to help us put together leadership principles so that we can coach on leadership principles from leaders who've been there and done that, who've actually been in high intense situations where leadership is required to navigate and teach business owners how to use principles like that in their business and in their leadership. Um, I've had him privately working with a few clients, minds, managers, and other leaders, and they've had phenomenal results within just a few sessions of him showing them how to be a better leader inside of the organization that they're there to lead. And Dude. so we're going to be bringing these principles through our, our coach programs to life. And then we're going to be, you know, working to do it at scale. So more people have access to use this material and you don't have to go pay the 15 or $30,000 to access the few professionals on earth that know how to do it. We're going to see if we can make wow. it available for the masses. It's like getting coached by the people teaching masterclass. Exactly. Dude, I love that. That is that's brilliant. Yeah. And dude, I, I'm I'm really excited to to have you on board leading success. So thank you for answering that random Instagram message. Right? I still check my DMs. I'm like, okay, what's <laughs> uh, up in the world today, man? <laughs> that's so funny, man. That's so funny. I need to go check now all my uh, garbage DMs. Right? You can't that's just so clear funny. them out these days. You gotta you gotta double check just in case. That's so funny. And how do people get a hold of you? Where should they follow you? Where, where do you produce the most content? The most content I produce right now is on Instagram. Is probably why people find me there. Um, so Instagram will be the place. And then I'm going to be working a lot with the success team in here. So success.com will be the place to check out what we're up to and, and see the content we're rolling out and everything that's going on in, in this world. I love it, man. Well, look, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners got a lot from this. I took lots of notes. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to ripple great messages into the world. I appreciate that, bro. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.